You are listening to How Does She Do It, episode 16. Welcome to the ride. Thank you for joining me for another episode of How Does She Do It, a weekly podcast dedicated to sharing practical insight and honest perspective on being grown. My name is Tiffany, and I am your host. And just a few pre-show announcements. The show notes for this week's episode will be available at howdoesshedoitpodcast.com slash 16. And I realized last week that I may not have ever explained what show notes are, and I'm not trying to, you know... I guess I've made assumptions that people might know what they are, and it's basically the blog for the podcast. So whenever I mention products or articles that I read and reference in the show, books that I read, other podcasts that I listen to, you will be able to find them at How Does She Do It podcast.com slash whatever episode that thing was mentioned in, and you'll be able to get it there. You can also follow the show, if you haven't done so already, on Twitter and Instagram at howdoes underscore she do it. You can join the email list, which will allow you to get the podcast uh, notifications when the podcast is up on iTunes or whatever you listen to, be it Stitcher or SoundCloud. You can get an email sent to you. So if you go to how does she do it podcast.com. You can sign up there. You can also like the Facebook page where you can also find the links to the uh, episodes directly, facebook.com slash how does she do a podcast. And if you have questions that you'd like answered on the hashtag ask Tiff segment, that's Tiff with two Fs because that's the only way Tiff should ever be spelt. You can email Tiffany at HowDoesSheDoItPodcast.com. And as always, thank you for the ratings and reviews that I have seen in the iTunes store. I think I got two new ones uh, as of last week. So just keep them coming. If you're enjoying the show, please continue to share it. Please continue to or please leave a rating or review. And I appreciate you as always. This week's Just My Thoughts are dedicated to the Academy, and I would like to thank the Academy for making this a viable topic to talk about yet again. If you don't know, on Thursday, the hashtag OscarsSoWhite was trending on Twitter because basically all 20 Oscar or acting nominations went to white actors. And 20 is a lot considering that there were some very, very good movies made by, um, or not made by, but featuring some very prominent and well-known and very good black actors and actors of other ethnicities. And it is just, it's just so interesting that these things still, this is still the case. When, for example, Sylvester Stallone can be nominated for Best Supporting Actor in a movie that the lead actor nor the director were nominated for. They weren't nominated for anything. And the 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 uh, actor that I'm speaking of is Michael B. Jordan. And I just don't even understand how logically that works, that someone, you know, could the supporting actor have done so much of a better job than the lead actor? I hope that that would never be the case in a movie. Um, maybe if I think hard enough, I could think of a movie where that happened to be the, um, that is the case. But that's besides the point. 
So the new, I guess what what's happened in the last day or so, maybe less than that, is that there are several black actors that are calling for a boycott of the Oscars this year, which will be hosted by Chris Rock. And so the idea, I think it was at least the the news that I'm reading is that Jada Pinkett and uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, excuse me, and Spike Lee are saying that we should boycott the Oscars. Now, I understand the act of solidarity, but I guess the question is, does that really help? And in what what impact would that actually have? And this is not me questioning the method. This is not me saying that I don't think it's a good idea. But I want, I'm interested to know what would the real impact of boycotting the Oscars be? Now, if people decided if, uh, you know, actors and actresses of color decided not to attend the award ceremony. I think that might have a significant impact. I guess if the viewership is significantly down, if that meant, you know, they were expecting a lot of people of color to watch the Oscars that will no longer be watching. Because if I've learned anything about anything in this country, if that is that if it doesn't impact the pocketbook, if it's not about the dollar dollar bill, y'all, then it really is not going to make a difference. So, um, you know, I would I can't wait to hear what Chris Rock has to say since he is hosting the show where there were no people of color nominated for uh, any of the 20 acting uh Oscars, which again, I'll say it again, is just, that's just absurd to me, but especially in a movie year like this, because there are some years where there are not very good movies out there, but this year I think there were several movies and I think people are talking about, and uh, straight out of Compton, people are talking about Creed, people are talking about Concussion, people are talking about the movie that Idris Elba was, um, was in, and forgive me for not recalling the name of that movie off the top of my head, where he played, did he play Nelson Mandela? I'm not sure, but if you can, if you want, you can send me an email and fact check that. But the bottom line is that um, I think that Chris Rock's commentary will be priceless, and you know the idea of not watching it. To to, to be told, I'm not really a big fan of these award shows anyway, and I usually watch when I'm expecting when I'm when I have a vested interest in one of the movies or one of the categories that is um you know or or some of the nominees for some of the categories and this year I don't know if that's going to be the case however I think the fact that one of the most I think vocal a comedian um who is very vocal about racial issues in America and racial issues in the entertainment industry is hosting the show you know, that in and of itself is a reason to watch and to support him, if nothing else. I think that he, um, I don't know Chris Rock personally, I might imagine that he would encourage people to do whatever they felt necessary or whatever they felt moved to do, but I want to hear what he has to say, and I might do it live. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, those are just my thoughts for this week. It's funny that the this week's just my thoughts are about being about I guess whiteness, white privilege, and indirectly in some respects being excluded as a minority in a majority setting. Uh, I want to talk about being black at work, and I can only speak from the perspective of being a black woman, but 
the last few weeks at work have been somewhat challenging for me for a few different reasons, but I think I am in a space where as I feel like I'm always in this space really, but, um, just reflecting, just trying to understand my role, trying to understand what I want to do with my career, uh, what next steps I might take. And I, think that without even getting into any specifics, I think that there's a lot of lot to be said about being black or being a racial a racial ethnic minority in um of any sort from any place and working in a majority white work environment, which I'm gonna call PWPs, predominantly white workplaces. So when I thought about talking about this today, I remember reading an article in the Atlantic sometime late last year that was titled Being Black But Not Too Black in the Workplace. And so I pulled that article back up and it reminded me of the the reasons why I like the article in the first place. First of all, the title is very, very real because I, I think that there is something about knowing that you're going into a majority white environment as an African-American, as a black woman, that makes you think, you know, sometimes do I have to be more or less of something in order to fit in in this place? And for me, when I was first coming, when I first went into to undergrad, that was a huge, huge issue for me was, you know, I felt like I was, I just didn't fit in. I was too of this, too much of that or not enough of something else. And then over time, I learned the the sort of language, so to speak, of being in a majority white environment. And eventually that adapted into my, you know, my time in corporate, in a corporate legal environment. But it is, uh, it's something that plays in your mind all the time. And, or at least for me, because again, there are some people who don't feel the, who don't feel the same way that I do. And I completely understand that. I completely respect that. But being very much aware of my race and my difference has been something that's very, very much a part of my, um, my conscious experience moving around in this world since, uh, particularly since I can remember going away to college and, 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 and since from then till now. Well, one of the part, uh, the points that the article makes is that Black professionals have to be very careful to show feelings of pleasantness, even and especially in response to racial issues. And basically, I think what what it, I take away from that is that you have to be very careful. You're always thinking about, you know, how much do I say about certain things? How much do I react to other things? Am I going to be seen as one way or the other if I talk too much about this type of issue or talk not enough about this kind of issue. And it just, it just, and again, I think that being existing in corporate America, it's taxing on everyone because corporate America can be an exhausting place to be. And um, working is an exhausting place to be. And I think that, you know, and I, and I say corporate America, that's, I don't mean to be, to be, to exclude anyone, but I, I think working period kind of weighs on people. But I wanted to highlight some things that I think people might think about when, while being black or another racial or ethnic minority or at, when you're at work. So one thing that someone might think about is whether advocating for diversity issues, even in a place that supports diversity and inclusion, will pigeonhole you or 
if it will be if it will be received well by the people that you're expressing these concerns to. And I know that's something that I think about because I I believe for me at least diversity and inclusion issues as it's now um, popularly termed are very important to me and they're important no matter what environment I'm in because they've mattered to me since I was in college all the way through graduate school, law school and now in in, in every work environment that I've been in so far. And for me, sometimes I wonder if my concern about diversity and inclusion, if it if it can cut against me in at some way, shape, or form. I don't look to find issues where issues don't exist, but I wonder, you know, am I being perceived a certain way by people um, because of some of the things that I say or some of the beliefs that I have um, about existing as a minority in a majority white workplace? Another thing I think people think about, how much can you really be yourself? And I, in, in thinking about this topic, I, I found another article. This one was written, I believe, around this time last year. It was a Forbes article. And they noted that a study showed that 21% of women of color surveyed did not feel they were free to be, quote unquote, themselves at work. And 28 to 44% believe that they must play down their race or ethnicity to succeed. And I'm again, I'm only speaking from as a black woman, and, but that those numbers are are staggering. And I think, and the author interviewed eight different women and found very similar comments from the people that she interviewed. And she acknowledged that her sample size was small, but she's gone on to write a book, and I will link to it in the show notes. But that is a question I think about often: is how much of myself can I really be? And um, you know, it is it it is a balancing act for sure. The third thing I think people might think about is why aren't you reflected in certain levels of leadership? And and the, these questions are rhetorical; they're very personal; they're very unique. But I ask myself this question, and I wonder. I always, I just want to know. I just want wonder what it might be. And again, and that's not saying that it's due to any um, any anything related to the institution themselves. It could just be that no woman of color wanted to be in a certain type of position in the in the place in a certain um, in a certain corporate environment or a certain work environment where you are. But you know, are there other factors at play? These are questions that are not easy to answer, and that's kind of the the challenge. And the um, that's the challenge itself is that there you, there are no easy answers. There's no way to really to always pinpoint one thing because a lot of different factors come into play. The fourth thing that one might think about when they are a minority in a majority white workplace is the impact of conforming to the norm or the environment that you're in, the impact of playing the game, so to speak, or how much one might need to or should avoid conversations or issues about things that matter. And that is a, a, a lot, I, I realize that's a bit of a mouthful, but basically it's like how much conforming is too much? At what point does not speaking up if you feel so inclined to do so, does that, how does that impact us? How does that weigh on our being in a certain place? What kind of feelings do, does that 
you know, the, either the conformity or feeling like you can't really speak up or you shouldn't or not really sure if you should um, raise certain types of issues, how much does that impact your health at work, your happiness at work, your success at work? Does it impact it at all? Uh, you know, again, I don't know the answers to these questions and every place of work is different, but these, this is something that I wonder about, um, you know, because again, I am not someone who is who is known to not express myself. Um, but sometimes I, I worry that I might say too much. I might give too much of my hand away. And um, it's it's only something I can learn. I can continue to try to figure out as I go through my, um, you know, my career on a day-to-day -day basis and constantly self-evaluate and constantly reflect. But these are things that, you know, that are on my mind. I should have let you know that there would be eight of these um, things that I think people of color might think about in the workplace. But the fifth thing is whether you can actually impact change. And by profession, and I'm starting to think by personality as well, change, being a change agent is something that I pride myself on both for personal change as well as advocating for change for other people um, or helping other people make changes in their lives and their careers. And I wonder, you know, I'm sure that there are sometimes you just look around and say, you know, can I actually impact this? Is this bigger than me? And if it is bigger than me, to what end do I work on it now? Is it worth it? Should I bother? Um, you know, how much help do I need to get from other people? And again, these are questions that I ask myself. These are questions that I wonder if other people ask. But, you know, can you actually impact change? And I think that th that phrase and that question speaks to much larger systemic and societal issues. And I think the, the answer or the conclusion that I try to come to is, how can I impact change right now or right where I am? What kinds of conversations can I have? What kind of work can I do? What kind of service can I provide that can impact change where I am? Because when we start thinking about the big picture and the nonsense that goes on in this society and um, the idea that I, I just saw on, um, I saw an article today about a teacher from Detroit was posting pictures of what this school looked like that was still inhabited by children and people who worked to educate these children. There were mushrooms growing out of the walls. There was mold running up and down the place. That should have been in my just my thoughts. But my point in saying that is, you know, when you think about the larger issues that are happening in, in society, it can get overwhelming to think about what role we can play in making the world a better place for, even though that sounds, you know, corny and kind of Sesame Street. But, you know, that's a question that, that, that comes to mind. The sixth point or the sixth thing that I think people of color being or black women think about in the workplace or racial and ethnic minorities might think about in the workplace is whether you should speak up at all about anything not necessarily about issues of race, not necessarily about issues of diversity or things like that, but how, when, if you're having a challenge with your supervisor or a coworker, or you want to be led onto a project or things like that, is there worry that you will be perceived a certain way by saying something um, just because you have thoughts about it? So, you know, the whole, the idea 
of, um, you know, the angry black woman, so to speak. And this ties into my next point is when you're trying to figure out if an interaction or practice rises to the level of concern in one way, shape or form. Do you have to worry about being labeled an angry black woman? I, I had a friend in college who I would have to ask her, you know, can you am I am I overreacting here? And sometimes I would be and she would tell me and sometimes I wouldn't be and she'd be like, you know what? No, you're right that this was this was inappropriate. So if you don't say something, you might feel some kind of way about it. And if you do say something, you might have to deal with consequences as a result. And you know what? Like, what is the what's the better option? I don't know. I don't know. And I'm, I'm saying these things, but not because I have answers and not because, um, you know, it's just it's just these are things that just weigh on you. These are things that I think weigh on um, on people of color in the workplace. So I misspoke. I didn't have eight points. I had seven. But the last point that I wanted to make was that what I've learned and I've noticed about myself in the last several years, I would say probably two to three years, is that one of the things that used to worry me that I used to think about a lot when I first started working, when I was actually, when I was in school often, was whether I belonged in the room. And I think that might be a concern. I think that's sometimes a concern for people. That is one of the things that I worry about less now. And I think that that's because I am confident in what I'm capable of doing. Not always, not saying I don't have my moments of being unsure, not saying I don't have my moments where I'm just like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. How am I not going to mess this up? But I think just generally, I know that I deserve to be in the room. And there was a time where I carried that burden of not believing that I belonged for years, for years, like textbooks in my book bag. That's how I, that's how it felt. It was with me all the time. And I was operating from a defensive position that I had, like I had to justify why I was in a room. And, um, Actually, I watched a clip of a video of Jada Pinkett speaking, Jada Pinkett Smith, speaking to something very similar with regards to the the, the academy and the lack of nominations of um, people of color. But I think that the idea when you can at least on a general level know that you walk into a place with confidence, that you deserve to be there, that can go a very, very long way. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have some of the questions and some of the challenges that I you know, talked about earlier or that you're not going to have your moments of doubt, but you deserve to be in the room. You deserve to be there. And if someone in the room doesn't think so, you don't have to prove it to them. You don't have to show them why because your work should and will speak for itself. Your professionalism should and will speak for itself. And the most that they can do is screw up their face or try to come at you crazy. But if you know that you're professional, if you know that you're appropriate, if you know that you're doing the best work that you can do, then that's all that you can do. You can't, and and I guess this kind of, you know, ties up all of what I was really just saying, but I as a black woman in a majority white male profession, I am very much aware of that fact. I'm very much aware of the challenges that come with that, but I will not be limited by that. I will 
do what I can do to move in the direction that I want to move to gain the kind of work, the experience and the, and the work that I want to gain um, for my own development. But we have to make sure that we minimize the amount of internalization that we do of some of the challenges that we have at work that, are, that might be related to race and ethnicity or gender. And I noticed that I, I go back and forth. I know, I, obviously, I know I'm a black woman, but my race is something that I lead with often um, more. And I uh, am noticing as I get older that my identity as a woman is coming more to the forefront, if that makes sense. But that's an aside. After reading the Forbes article that I mentioned earlier, some points of advice that two of the, uh, some of the women interviewed gave was that just keep speaking up at work. Keep knowing your stuff. Keep showing up. Keep defying any negative expectations that someone might have of you or might not. And I, I want to, I'm going to underline that for a second. When in, in this conversation, what I'm not doing is assuming that, you know, people are looking at me crazy. I'm not assuming that every issue that I have at work is related to my race. I'm not saying that people at work or people in, in corporate environments are always coming at black people or always coming at women or always coming at, you know, Asians or always coming at Latinos. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that there is something very unique about existing as a minority in a majority environment that plays on your psyche, that plays on your existence in that place. And that these are just some things that people think about. These are things that come up, at least I think. And I would love to hear from you if these things resonate with you or if they don't. Send me an email, Tiffany at HowDoesSheDoItPodcast.com. You can, you know, send me, you can, um, you know, get at me on Twitter. I would love to hear from you because I think that this is something that is not often talked about. Sometimes we don't have enough coworkers to talk about it with. So we talk about it with our friends who work in different environments, but who have same stories. And it is, um, you know, it is a unique, it is, I think it's a unique experience and it is not one that I would trade. It is not one, one that I, it is one that I wish was different sometimes, but I wouldn't trade it because this is who I am. It is a part of who I am. And I think it will continue to make me better and build my character going forward. I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Um, I think I did a lot of tangents there. I think I did a lot of um, kind of stream of conscious type of, type of speaking, but I hope that you got something from it. I hope that, you know, this is, maybe I'm all by myself. I don't know. And if I am, that's fine. But that is, those are, you know, just my feelings about some things I think people might experience being a minority in a majority white workplace. So I'm going to read a, another review. It's from a Abwaje, advice from a big sister. Listening to this podcast is like catching up with a big sister or mentor over lunch. A bit of pop culture and a lot of good advice. Tiffany is transparent and offers great perspective. If you're past the 25-year mark or and just trying to find your place beyond kidulthood, then this is definitely worth the listen. 
Thank you for that review. I really appreciate it. As always, I appreciate your support, your continued support. Please share this with a friend. Check me out on uh, SoundCloud. Check me out on iTunes. Well, you're obviously listening to this somewhere. So um, if you have not done so already, please leave a five-star rating and review. And if you have any questions or comments or topics that you'd like to see me address on the show, please feel free to email Tiffany at HowDoesSheDoItPodcast.com. And until next time, be blessed and be a blessing. Peace.